0: In this episode of The Soul of Life, I talk with songwriter and musician and social worker Dan Men's We touch on where he found his soul and let go of religious dogma that taught him to be afraid of people.
1: You could be high, you could be drunk. As long as you weren't actively shooting up in the bathrooms of our shelter, you are welcome to come.
0: His identity as a musician in the band Holy Ghost Machine Gun.
1: When I got off the plane in England, they asked me to declare my profession. And so I I sat there for a moment and I wrote wrote on it musician. And it was the first time in my life I'd actually like, okay, I'm going to take this, you know, this title. I'm going to take this mantle. And I get up to the customs official and she looks at it and she says, you know, musician. And she says, what do you really do?
0: And hear a heartwarming song that he wrote that's perfect for life during COVID. Welcome to the soul of life. I'm Keith Miller, and my podcast, The Soul of Life, is here to help you remember who you really are. I'll bring together people who have gotten off their treadmills. I'll have conversations with athletes, musicians, doctors, scientists, healers, and entrepreneurs to discuss the fascinating edges of our knowledge in neurobiology, psychology, and physics. This is The Soul of Life. So I want you to meet a guy named Dan Menzerb. And I've known Dan for a while, actually. I was friends, good friends with his wife uh, before she was his wife back in college. And so I've known Dan for a while. i um, talking to Dan today because he's a musician. He's also a social worker. And he was in a band called Jawbone Hill. And uh, and I was actually in a band just kind of coming to an end in college called Reason for Noise. And that's like a subchapter of my life, which is is kind of like one of these rooms that I don't go into very often, because it's, I don't know, it, it, I look back at it, it was like a weird hobby for me. So my band was like this, uh, it was a rap group, and it was um, music that was um, designed to tell people about the Lord. In other words, it was Christian rap music. And so for me... Now I've come a long way kind of away from christianity i've really no no longer consider myself a christian and and so that's like a room in my house like as a teenager, this was something I did It was like a a wormhole, something that occupied a lot of attention. I thought it was r- really cool at the time and uh look back at it and and don't don't always think of it as as very cool um so anyway, jawbone Hill is this band I don't even know if they were a Christian band. I kind of assumed that they were because as you'll hear in my conversation with Dan, his background is similar to mine in that he grew up in a Christian, kind of fundamentalist Christian uh, home, and, and then moved away from it um, as he became a social worker, and is very grateful like I am for that progression and that journey. But Dan and I, you know, so when I was going through my um, depression and coming out of it rapidly after I had fully embraced the medical side of things. One of the things that was happening for me was it was just like opening up associations in my mind. Um, certainly, the medicine SSRIs have that quality of really just allowing the brain to to function more more optimally. It's like it's like performance enhancing. Um, but but uh, really, so I was I was having these associations, like especially the first couple weeks when I was taking an SSRI for the first time. I would just remember things about my life that that were kind of, they weren't random. In fact, they were, as I look at it now, they were, there were parts of my brain, like coming back to life that had been almost like unplugged, like you unplug an appliance and it just sits dormant. And, um, and literally like not just one plug, but like dozens of plugs were being put back in. And so I found myself one day just feeling like, like, I'll just say called to go pick up my Bible. I know that sounds funny. If you're a Christian, that doesn't sound funny, but since I'm not, I guess it sounds funny to me, but I just went and picked up the Bible that was like the Bible for me when I was a teenager and when I was studying theology in, in college and I just held it. You know, it was a, it's an object, right? But it it's something that um, I poured a lot of energy and time into that object. So it represents something very real, like represents real energy um, in my life. And like, You know, I don't have a I don't have a place in my life to read the Bible, Um, but I I think of it as, right? I think of it as a spiritual tool, right? Very similarly to now how I think about uh, a drug like Zoloft as a spiritual tool. It's really just another tool that you can use it however you want to. Um, So I I decided to just pick it up and I held the Bible in my hands and it actually I can't I can't really explain to you this, but It felt like I was holding electricity. It was like very moving. It was like relief. I began remembering things. I did turn to like probably the 23rd Psalm or something and read that and began to read it through the eyes of myself when I was younger. And it it just, I just made these connections all over the place. So anyway, back to Jawbone Hill. Dan is A social worker and and i wanted to reach out to him um to just share with him what i had gone through recently with burnout and kind of these weird symptoms that i experienced how i was how i was doing you know just they were in the middle of getting ready to move to texas and so i said hey i'm i'm starting this podcast i want to talk to you about you know about who you are and 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 i shared with them how meaningful it had been for me to remember who i am um and that that word I am is if you're a christian or in the judeo christian tradition you realize that I am is a is a theme throughout the throughout the bible it's moving and actually very touching kind of spiritual theme that god is referred to as I am it's kind of a mysterious or mystical thing it's just you know I'm I just I am I don't even have a name and so you know that it's it's i say this as a as a person who doesn't really identify as a Christian, but I am began to feel very, very strong for me um, as I began to remember who I was and and not be afraid of like just remembering and and making these connections like i I would go around the house and I would sing a hymn randomly to my wife, and it probably sounded really bizarre and you know like almost sometimes I've been known to be kind of sacrilegious and uh, so but this was not that I was actually really. Uh, deeply connecting with those spiritual songs and you know I, I remember them right so why why close that door why unplug that 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 cord of energy if if that's who you are right so I wanted to talk to Dan and ask him who he is and this was what was really cool he just shared with me a song that he had just wrote and so I'm sharing that with you today. Dan is a guitarist and so I talked to Dan in this conversation about his identity as a guitarist
1: and you reminded me friendship
0: He's been a musician his entire life and I really appreciated what he had to say about creativity and the courage that it takes to share who you are with someone and and to share your music with somebody.
1: And social distancing I
0: welcome to the show, Dan. Really glad to have you. You know, I guess I'm interested in kind of jumping right into, you know, who you are. Um, As you know, that's been a thing that I've been thinking more about. It's like I've been doing my work for a long time, almost 20 years. I can't believe that as a social worker and as a therapist. And I don't usually think about what about who I am. I usually think about what I'm doing. and And I've just realized how much more healthy I feel when I'm when I'm more aware of who I am. So so that's what made me reach out to you. I know you're, well, I know you in a bunch of different ways, but I, I want to ask you to share maybe who you are. I know kind of what you do. You can tell me, certainly share about your work as a social worker. So tell me a little bit about you. I know you're a dad, married with kids,
1: That's the That's kids. the story, Keith. You, you wrapped it up. <laughs> <laughs> up. Um, that's pretty much it. No. Um, yeah. So I um, I'm in my mid-40s. I'm a dad. I'm a social worker. I am a songwriter. Um, I've been playing music most of my life. I've traveled around the country a lot. I've lived in a lot of different places. Um, so as I've grown up, I've really, um, started to like valued more and more getting more adventure in my life. I love outdoors. Um, I like a good beer and I like people. (laughs) Yeah. Why social work? So I, Originally, you know, when I was very young, like most kids, I thought I was going to be a doctor for a hot minute and then I started reading james Harriet books and I don't if you don't if you know who he is. he was a veterinarian who mm-hmm. wrote about being a veterinarian. I think he was in like northern England, mm-hmm. but very folksy tales about taking care of animals, and that got me super interested in being a veterinarian, and I loved animals anyway. So for a long time that's what I thought I was gonna do. Um and then in my undergraduate biology program, it quickly became clear that I wasn't as smart as I thought I was, at least or I wasn't as good at memorizing facts and um, you know, doing things like organic chemistry. So I was kind of a middle of the road student. And that was um a that was a big shocker to me at, you know, whatever, eighteen, nineteen. Uh and I didn't know what to do from there. So um I did graduate with that degree. And while I was just kind of trying to figure out what to do, I decided to um, join AmeriCorps, mm. partly just to buy time, I think, because it was something to do. Um, and, you know, uh, you know that I've, I come from a background, a religious background that uh, my my parents are Mennonite and um, Mennonites value service and service to others and service to the community. So I had that sort of... Uh, going through that thread going through my life before that. Um, so it had always been something I've been thinking about doing. So anyway, I joined AmeriCorps and I moved from Pennsylvania to Seattle, Washington, and I got placed in a homeless shelter there. And that experience really changed my perspective on the world in so many different ways. But one of the ways was that I realized that I was better at being a social worker than at being a scientist and, mm-hmm. um, sort of sent me on that path.
0: Mm-hmm. So the, the placement you had, uh, or the work you did in, in the homeless community at the shelter, something about that brought out kind of what you like about being with people or, or helping with people. Can you, can you say more about that?
1: Yeah. So I think yes to the things that you just said. And also, you know, it was a, it was a shelter that took in people that the local rescue missions wouldn't take. So there was a, there are a number of larger rescue missions in Seattle that would, um, if you sat through chapel, they'd give you a free meal and a place to stay. And the place where I worked would take anybody, no questions asked. You could be high, you could be drunk. As long as you weren't actively shooting up in the bathrooms of our shelter, you were welcome to come. And so there was this real spirit, Uh, among the staff there that was like, this is the, this is where the work is. You know, it's not about proselytizing or um, making people have to swallow a carrot before they get, actually, I guess they wanted the carrot as if the carrot was the meal, but um, yeah. So they, I, you know, I, I was introduced to this whole community of people who work there who believed in helping people just because not because they were religious or because they had uh that mindset, but because they thought it was the right thing to do, full stop, I think. And um and so I was really interested in that. And also um it was just really compelling work. I think on a basic on some basic level, like I was enjoying my day. I wasn't watching the clock, uh, I was looking forward to going to work and um and having these experiences and these interactions with people. Uh, so I, it was just more invigorating, and I, I think mm-hmm. you know before I could really put it in the words uh, what it meant to be a social worker as a profession, I was already attracted to that those aspects mm-hmm. of it.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing that you said that stood out was about the work being invigorating. Um, when it almost sounded like you said it was invigorating because there was like at least in that setup, that setting that you had, there there weren't a lot of restrictions on what people needed. You weren't putting, you weren't hoisting expectations onto people.
1: Right, exactly. So I think, you know, at that particular point in my life, I was start, kind of starting a very, what would be a very long process of stepping away from my religious upbringing and my thoughts about God. And, um, and so coming to a place where I could watch a different narrative in action um, was very interesting to me.
0: You and I have spoken about this before. We have this connection as, as I guess, former evangelicals, um, even though I think most Mennonites, more, some Mennonites would not consider themselves evangelicals. Maybe some would. But anyway, my background was evangelical Baptist in New, in New England. And I, I just, I mean, I kind of think that we're in a special club, sort of. Sometimes I joke to people I'm a recovering evangelical, and, and I don't mean to hurt anybody by that, but it's it's a special club for me. And I, I had the same experience um, in some ways of sort of like, whoa, like you mean? I mean, there there's there's ways of experiencing some of the amazing things i did experience when i was in a religious community outside of religious dogma <laughs> it was eye opening for me it sounds like that's kind
1: of what you're saying exactly you yes I, I you know i don't know that i would have thought, would have considered myself evangelical i probably didn't understand what that term meant when i was when i was younger like my you know early teens and that maybe was when I was the most like an evangelical. Um, but I do remember, um, you know, in my late teens and early twenties, that term was already changing so much. Like, what does it mean to be an evangelical? And um, I felt like it was changing a lot, but um, yeah, I mean, but to your point, like I remember thinking anyone who doesn't believe in God, how could they not believe in God? They're so lost. There's, you know, they're they're in the dark. I had all the language that we grew up with that, explained, uh, and supported one, they need, to be saved. they need to be saved. They need to, um, you know, we need to help them walk out of darkness then. And, um, and then when, you know, you start to sort of pull that back and see that these, you know, there's another way of looking at this. <laughs> um, and even though that's, I think in some ways very dangerous, um, you know, from a, like a personal moral background that goes against the the training and the um you know basic i'm going to use the word propaganda of christianity um but start to pull that back um yeah i'm i i'm so grateful to to have gotten that chance in that community that and it was people that like took me i mean i can't imagine what i was like as a as a Christian uh, who was coming sort of to do God's work in Seattle. You know, part of the reason I was there is because of my Christian background and um, landing in this non-religious homeless shelter that was by and large staffed by people who were not Christians. Um, And they, they, they took me in with open arms and they were so comforting and loving. And, um, you know, as I've got gotten older and gotten past it, I can see how they could have had a very different reaction to my naivety.
0: Totally, totally. I had almost the same experience. My first job in social work, even though I had not begun studying social work yet, was as a volunteer coordinator for a nonprofit that served meals to HIV and AIDS patients. And this was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, the AIDS crisis had not yet really kind of shifted out of the crisis mode. And um, so the community that, that I worked in was mostly gay and lesbian. GLBT, LGBT. And so, you know, coming from a Baptist background, that was like working with the enemy. You're listening to the Soul of Life podcast with me, Keith Miller. Every week I bring you a new episode that hopefully inspires you to reflect more on who you are and who you want to be in this rapidly changing world. If this time we share together moves you somehow closer to who you are or lights up parts of you that have been unplugged, I want to hear from you. And please share the love. Take a moment to find the Soul of Life podcast in the social media where you hang out on iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and let me know who you are. The people I worked with were some of the most loving, caring, and oh, just compassionate people that I had ever met in any of my Christian circles. Unbelievable, these, these um, angels of the devil. Um, I, and and I, I'm, I shouldn't joke about that. I really shouldn't because I really do remain open one of the challenges for me has been to remain open to people who are on a journey that includes religion and religious practice. And I think, you know, I, I, anyway, I'll leave it at that. But I, so you might appreciate, appreciate the joke. Maybe some people don't, but um,
1: yeah, I do. Because I, I think I had, I remember being death, like not deathly is not the right word, but I remember being so uncomfortable and insecure around gay people and around people of color, and, you know, this is even more particular to my experience, but even around people who are Catholic, because Mennonites have a long history with Catholics and a lot of persecution. So and I didn't know any Catholics, but I certainly knew our history with Catholics. So when I started meeting Catholics, that was uncomfortable for me.
0: Yeah, we had the Catholic thing going up up in Massachusetts um for sure because we were like I was the only kid that wasn't Catholic. I was Baptist. And then they had this like they would say, "But you're a Christian and I'm a, I'm a Catholic." And it made no sense to me, but Massachusetts is highly, you know, predominantly Catholic. Um so yeah, we actually believed and had lots of jokes in fact about Catholics that were like, you know, they're lost. They're they're not even Christian. Anyway, it dri- it boggles my mind, but you know, that's not a new discussion. Um a lot of people have those discussions, but uh, you yeah, know, I do try to stay open to to people who have experiences that include religion. You know, I just think that it it does serve a purpose um and have a lot of compassion and and understanding, I think for people there who are who are in some way getting a lot from that. So, try not to go over the line too much with my jokes. <laughs> Tell me about being a musician. Um When did you know that you were a musician?
1: Um, So (laughs) my dad, who has passed away, um, he was a musician and he was self-taught on all of his instruments, uh, but he loved to play piano. He was a great bass singer and he loved four-part harmony. Um, He also dabbled in guitar and banjo and french horn and you know if there was like if he could find an instrument at a flea market like he'd buy it and bring it home and sort of basically learn how to play it um so he was really my first introduction to like oh people can do this not just the things you hear on the radio but people can make can do this and he taught me my first chords on guitar um so i i owe a huge debt to my dad I remember the first time I ever tried to write a song, you know, and I use that term very loosely, Um, but I remember recording like a, a little tape recorder and the song lyrics had something to do with like, I'm an American boy. And that that's all I remember about it, uh, and I'm, you know, but, but I remember being like, I can make a song, like I can do that. I can put words to something and like, you know, record it and listen back to it. And I think that that process of recording and listening back was kind of key to getting the spark for it. Um, So, you know, I don't 11 or 12, my dad taught me some guitar chords. I stopped playing. I got bored and it was too hard and I didn't pick it up again until I think I was 14 or 15 and I met some older teenagers who played and who I looked up to and who seemed like cool kids and were into cool music. And, um, they taught me uh, enough to get me to the point where I was actually starting to write songs on, with a guitar. Um, and that was really the moment when I was like, this is something I want to do and started to, you know, just sit in my bedroom, play guitar. You had the fever. fever. You
0: you caught the fever. I'm, I'm occasionally feverish about guitar. I've been playing guitar for a few years and, um, not seriously until the last year, and you know, like I've progressed to the point where I w- would go out and I've, you know, I, do you know what gas is among guitarists? G A S, the kind of acronym, guitar acquisition syndrome.
1: You know what that is? Yes. Okay. I, d- I don't have it anymore. I did for I, you know, I used to like pour over American music magazine, like the magazine from the there was a there was like a mega store in D.C. that. Um, I would just like pour over their, their magazines and like read about each model and figure, you know, yeah, I did have that.
0: You did have gas. I I, I've, I've only got three guitars, four guitars. Okay. But I, I kind of feel like I could use a fifth and like, it's like, well, well, you know, anyway, so I bought my first Stratocaster last month and actually I, I, I keep saying that when I tell people my first Stratocaster, that's, that sounds ridiculous. It sounds
1: well, it leaves the door open, mm, right? D. Yeah,
0: exactly. But I love it, you know. So I'm I'm over the cowboy chords, the the chords in the first fret, and I'm in that horrible stage where I I realize, oh, I got to learn every note on the fretboard, you know, and at least know where my fingers are going when I'm on when I'm on different places in the fretboard. So it's like a new level, new devil, but it's fun, you know. It's fun. I mean, I'm wondering. So you shared a song with me. Called John Bagwell. Um, it's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, and, and I and I'm hoping to share it with my listeners. And it's so simple and melodic. I, I'm curious about your your journey as a musician. Um, when people hear this song, I think they'll they'll resonate with the idea that it's simple and melodic, and and the the lyrics as well as the 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 melody. Tell me ab- about that song.
1: Well, first of all, thanks. I'm I'm touched that you you liked it. And or that you like it and uh, that it meant something to you. Um The song John Bagwell is about my friend John Bagwell and some uh, a night that we spent together. He invited me over for some beers around his backyard fire ring. We talked about the anxiety of the moment in our lives. We talked about our families, our kids. Um, Then we talked about if he was kind of into the same bands I was like Crooked Fingers and Red House Painters. And it was just this really nice evening in the midst of a very anxiety-filled time in life. And um, he mentioned to me that there was a supermoon. So on the way home, I was biking home and I kind of made sure I got a good view through the trees of this beautiful supermoon that was out that night. And I think seeing that moon um, just kind of cemented that moment. In my mind is like this very special moment in in time when I was feeling all these different feelings like anxiety and um, awe and wonder at the moon, but also grateful for this friend and this connection I had. So, And that song came out really quickly. I think I maybe wrote it that evening. I I think I I biked home and picked up the guitar. A lot of songs don't come out quickly. Some of them never come out. And, you know, I'm not prolific, and a lot of things die on the vine. So when something is happening, I just try to let it happen.
0: One of the lyrics there is, um, Back at Home Through Darkness... Till the supermoon breaks above the treetops, turning me into a speck of dust, a molecule of love. We're here for a moment, then the moment burns away. I am blinded. And I know it's always subjective, but it sounds so hopeful. Hearing that that phrase, you know, we're here for a moment, and then, you
1: know, we're just a molecule of love. That's pretty awesome. I'm glad you picked that up. I mean, I, I 100% agree. I find a lot of, like, comfort and release in the idea that we're just another biological species on the planet. And when I have my, hopefully, 80 years or so, that's it. That's the run I get. Turning me into speckle. These moments, like, how can we, you know, be in it, be as present as we can, and then also to be the best version of ourselves in those moments and really celebrate and be grateful.
0: Yeah, I I really get it. And I love it. And I I hope... I hope listeners share it and love it too. Um, tell me what it was like to, to share that with me. I don't know, you know, have you shared it with anyone else? Have, have you played it in concerts? I know you've been in a band before you've been in a band called Holy Ghost Machine Gun. Curious about, cause this music sounds different. I think quite a bit different than that music, you know? So
1: did you share that? How did it feel to share that? Um, so, you know, I, I've played in a lot of bands and so, um, Often that's kind of the main venue where I try to you know we try to write music, we try to record it, we try to put it out there we try to play shows um we put out a website we try to get on you know get a Facebook we get the whole thing rolling and try to make a little community around our music and I've never really successfully done that as a solo musician, and I haven't tried that hard and I think a big part of that is that i'm I'm most critical about my own ability. Um, and I, I enjoy making music with other people. I prefer the team approach, but I still like to write music and I, for some, you know, some reason still end up doing it at, by myself. Um, so a lot of, a lot of what happens to those songs is I write them and forget them or I write them and record them and you know, they don't go anywhere else. Um, I, I have a handful of, of friends that I'll send them to, um, a lot of other songwriters and musicians um and you know we'll talk about oh we should you know should you should put some bass on this song or like maybe I should make an EP out of this or like what if we had a what if we split an EP and you did this and like you know we do a lot of like sort of brainstorming around songs and album directions but most of that doesn't come to fruition um why did I share it with you Keith I think we you emailed me and it happened to sort of coincide with when I had just finished this song. And, and I think something about the tone of your email, to me, made it feel like, you know, this might be appropriate. I'll share it with Keith, see what Keith thinks.
0: Yeah, I, I think it totally was. <laughs> we were on the same chord, which is cool. Um, I want to talk about creativity for a moment and perfectionism. Because um, I, you know, I did. I I shared with you in that email, you know, as I have with many of my friends, uh, recently that that my discovery about my own mind, which was hiding um, a form of depression from me, <laughs> it had the audacity. <laughs> you know, I'm a dude that knows what depression looks like. I treat it. I've been treating people professionally with depression for 20 years, and so I was confounded when when I didn't recognize it in myself only until uh, except when my body began shutting down um, and I had no choice, I had to look for answers. Um, and I shared with you that, that, you know, my mindset um, on this side um, of depression in rapid recovery, I would say, because I embrace treatment fully on this side of it, I realized that, wow, like i I put so much time and energy. What the things that I think are important have to do with like you said sort of production and maybe wordsmithing an email or you know getting the polish out way 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 before I've got any energy being generated for something it's like let's just let's just get the polish out for this uh little thing and see if see if people are gonna buy it you know and i I realized I was hurting myself by doing that at a physical level I realize that our energy our brain know, our bodies only have a finite amount of energy. We only burn a certain amount of energy every day. And I was using a big portion of that. My brain was using a big portion of that on production of, of things that didn't need to be. And I, and I think of myself as a pretty authentic person.
1: Yeah. There's something about the, about making music that lends itself to that as well. I mean, um, so I can relate. I mean, I, I am super critical of my abilities. Um, and, and at the same time I've decided that's just the way it is. This is, these are the tools I have. Um, you know, we, we will reach the people we reach with, with our art and the ones that don't want to be reached we'll move on. And that's okay. I think I've really, I've really come to appreciate this idea of like you take an idea, especially in songwriting and you, you know, you, you make you take time to cook it a little bit, but not too much. You put it out there, and then you assess what what the response is, and then you take that information and you put it into the next thing. Um, instead of taking a year to, to to make the perfect album and then putting it out and then assessing, that's that can really right really take the life out of you. Yeah, yeah,
0: I I, I find that. Um, the more I, and I feel uh, I have felt the same way about so many things at multi levels in my life um, that if I just focus on the steps I'm taking each step, I mean, this is like a mindfulness thing, um, but it's actually just a life thing. I always, I always love to teach this idea that mindfulness is just a fancy word we use now for life, like paying attention and being awake. Um, if We just focus on the step we're doing. You know, the idea that we're walking or running, like it's, it's a controlled fall, that's, that's almost ridiculous. We don't, that, we don't think about that. We're actually just catching ourselves every single time and then adjusting, catching ourselves, adjusting. And if we don't move forward and fall, there's no chance to catch ourselves and, and then propel.
1: It also makes walking more exciting when you think of it that way. <laughs> way more exciting. <laughs> I'm falling. No, I'm not.
0: Yeah and tripping is a whole nother subject i'm going to be talking to a guy that has uh, been the, uh, on the leading edge speaking of tripping of doing um fda approved mdma research which is you know been a drug that people use recreationally um but is therapeutic at, and in has amazing capacity for for therapy so anyway tripping just reminded me of that it's not tripping when when they're doing this but anyway Yeah. Life gets interesting. Interesting. What would you say to new musicians? Like, you know, I struggle with this identity. I, you know, and I guess I don't enough to not share it. Like I'm I'm comfortable enough to say that now, but you know, up until really recently, I don't even know what it was. Maybe it was buying the Strat. I didn't, I didn't want to say I'm a musician because then, you know, it's almost as if when I tell somebody that I'm a musician, they're going to assume that I'm like, playing in bands or they're going to assume that I've recorded,
1: um, with guitar, with guitar. and yeah, it's terrifying. No. You know? I, I, um, I have to say that I think I'm, st- I still struggle with it too. Um, so, you know, I remember I wanted to study music as an undergrad, um, uh, but my parents were helping me pay for school and they were not interested in helping me pay for a music degree. Um, so I didn't study music. And then uh, another experience that happened not long, like, you know, I think two years after I I graduated from college, I I went to Europe for the first time on my own. I backpacked around for a couple months. But when I got off the plane in England, they asked me to declare my profession. And so I I sat there for a moment and I wrote I wrote on it musician. And it was the first time in my life I'd actually like, okay, I'm gonna take this, you know, this title. I'm gonna take this mantle. And I get up to the customs official and she looks at it and she says, "And you know, musician, and she says, what do you really do? No. <laughs> and it just like took the wind right out of me. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, I think it's a deep, it's a deeper, uh, probably the same for you. It's a deeper issue of like personal identity. You you use the word healer too. And, you know, in terms of our work as social workers and I I don't, I haven't, you know, that's a word that I haven't been that comfortable using for myself, um, in the similar way of using the word musician. Um, but you know, at this point I know what I like and I know what I get passion and life from, and it is music.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What kind of music are you listening to right
1: now? (laughs) Oh not much at the moment. I just started a, a grad program, so it's been like you know, I'm reading in every spare moment I have, but um let me think. Lately the music that I've enjoyed. So there's a I'm in Texas, but there's a radio station in Charlottesville, Virginia that I can pick up in Richmond, Virginia, where where we we live um when we're not in Texas. Um and it's W N R N. And so and it's, it's a local community funded radio station that plays. It's an interesting mix of like um, artists that don't get on the radio a lot. So, um, you know, like spoon is on there and, and with a lot of Virginia artists and a lot of artists that are um, more Americana based. So, one thing I do here in Texas is um they have a bluegrass show every Sunday morning, so I still tune into that bluegrass show because it's just I love starting Sundays off with some bluegrass. Um I've been listening to the Steep Canyon Rangers. That's a bluegrass band. Um actually, I think they're the one that Steve Martin plays with them sometimes, comedian and banjo player. Um so, yeah, I, mean, I think in the last couple of years I've like I've had this sort of interest in listening to more bluegrass. Um but also i love you know i love it. It rock yeah cool um
0: you reminded me of uh my my question i wanted to give you the the sort of microphone to 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 analyze me um in my subconscious for what it's worth here um i have a i have a hard time with blues music and i know that as a guitarist that's ridiculous because you know if like i want to get to funk right which which is a music that i really enjoy um i enjoy a lot of different kinds of music like i can i i enjoy beastie boys um but, and i can enjoy you know, all, all, bluegrass um so yeah the blues you know i understand the importance of of it musically and i know i need to play it um but what what would you say just like quick thoughts? Like, what's my, what's the deal? What's my deal with that? Uh,
1: What's the problem, Keith? (laughs) A couple things come to mind. One is blues is, is all about repetition, right? So if you are like me and you're, you know, you're an okay guitar player, you play the blues, you have a few things you can do after you do those few things for 15 to 20 minutes, you don't have any more tricks up your sleeve you're just doing the same thing over and over again so there's a lot of repetition in blues and i think there's some fatigue that happens for me we're both middle-aged white guys that are come from a you know i think middle class privileged white backgrounds it's not a music that is ours too so i i you know i want to recognize that like you know pl- um it's not from our background um, we don't own it. Wow, yeah. And, um, but you know, and you could say the same thing for funk, I think for a lot of actual the, a lot of American pop music. Um, but I, I share your feeling about blues. I, I can't take it for, for very long and, but I, there's a few artists, um, that I think do it really well. And I should have come up, I should have given, come up with a list before we talked, but sometimes the simpler it is, the better it is. In my mind, like when you just get down mm-hmm. the really simple blues,
0: right, I mean, I was you know like I can handle Eric Clapton and John Mayer on the bluesy side, but like it's it's it like you you nailed it on the head, it's like the repetition i like I think you're saying that i'm 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 actually impatient, <laughs> like I just want this thing to go somewhere, and uh George Clinton from the legendary funk band Parliament, has this you know lyric funk
1: not only moves, it removes. Also funk is so fun to play. Uh, you know, one of my bands, Holy Ghost Machine Gun, was you know, we have a lot of funk and a lot of the guitar lines are sort of based around funk guitar. It is so fun to play funk guitar. It's just I fun. mean, can you
0: play can you play funk without moving your neck? Like you know, like the like is that possible? Have you ever seen I find you know,
1: myself the funniest like mouth shapes guitar
0: mouth yeah like this like just like kind of like like snarl on one side
1: or something mm-hmm. it's 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 a little obscene but yeah yeah
0: it's like it's like you got something weird in your mouth but you you want to keep it in there i don't know it's moving something's moving i got jam in my leg that's another line um I mean, it, when you when I asked you, I kind of put you on the spot. I said, "What music are you listening to?" And you're like, "I don't have time to listen to music right
1: now. You know, I've got kids." <laughs> can you NBA, believe that though? As you know, somebody who loves to play music, I'm not listening to that much music. I totally believe. My wife loves the Indigo Girls, so the Indigo Girls are on in our house like I don't know, like forty percent of the time. They're like the first guitar songs I ever learned.
0: They are. You can do, and they actually people are like, "Oh, that sounds more than that." Some of the sounds they have, it's like a little more than. <laughs> Sounds like there's extra in there. Also, there is, one,
1: one more thing um, I, I remembered. A blues artist, Junior Kimbrough. Um, listen to him. Check him out. I mean, those. I, if I remembering correctly, a lot of those blues are are not even based around the one four five pattern than a lot of blues are. He's on like the one, and he stays on the one, and the song just plays on the one, and maybe he'll go to the four once, but it's so it's so interesting because he he makes it even simpler than than right. blues.
0: Maybe we need to do that somehow. I mean, what would it look like if we if we played on the one? Like, what 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 would life look like if if you had a day and you were doing that? Like, I mean, like you know how we talked about our the facial contortions and like the, how the body moves with certain music. I don't know what would life look like if we're playing on the one? Right. just hanging there. there. Like, no,
1: just I'm not moving thing. off this thing.
0: <laughs> I don't know. That's philosophical. It's it's uh it's for our listeners too.
1: Yeah. Maybe that's what COVID is doing to us right now. It's making us hang.
0: Oh my God, I think you're right. That's what this is all about, isn't it? That's, that's, that's what this is all about.
1: It's stripping away. Yeah, it It's stripping really away a lot of things from our lives. Um, you know, and for a lot of people, it's extremely scary and difficult and, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's simplifying and distilling things in a way that I don't think I've experienced. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if I can just riff on that a little bit, I mean, I'm hearing that in so many different ways from different people, like everybody's pulse rate seems to just be up more than usual. And then we actually kind of forget that that's happening to all of us. And we feel like we're just going crazy by ourselves about something. And, oh, oh yeah, there's COVID. Oh, yeah, I haven't been able to do the 10 things that I normally do this week without a lot of extra steps. You know, the idea that you can stay on on, on the spot you are, and that's what mindfulness is, right? Just focus on where you are right now, but really focus on it. Like if you're going to write a song that stays in a certain rhythm, wow, there's, there's still a lot you can do with that. There's, there's so much you can do without adding something new without. Right. And know, that's,
1: layering that's on a little counterculture to the moment in, in our, in the world right now too. I think, you know, um, we are inundated with data and information and we're quick. We, we take quick bits of it all the time and we move on. It's like, we're kind of like sampling, sampling information constantly. Um, so this idea of sort of slowing down and focusing, and I think it's super important and it's very difficult. It's very difficult to do. And
0: I I heard a, I don't know if you heard this, but there was some study and I, I don't know if they validated this. I don't know how valid the study was, but they said like the average time, uh, Like people don't put up with songs in which the lyrics don't start within the first five seconds or something like, like they actually just don't like those songs and they don't hear them. And if they, you know, in the study, they just swipe, you know, they, they don't listen to it And that. So the attention span, the, the ability to delay gratification of like, okay, I know where this is going. I know how this is going to sound for listeners uh, has gone way down.
1: You know, uh, there's a songwriter that you might know, Dennison Whitmer, who um, was from Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, from the same area where I was, who um, who is still writing music. And he is sort of like a master craftsman at writing the simplest songs and making them sound sort of meticulously put together in very beautiful ways. Um, And Mm -hmm. I had just he had just released uh, some music not long before i wrote john bagwell and i think it was sort of in my mind like wow this Dennison has this ability to um just write a simple song and just let it be that way and i think that was an inspiration for me
0: that's cool let it be we'll end on that note thanks for
1: listening to the soul of life
0: this is keith miller Oh, and don't forget, please leave a thumbs up or a like for this episode, wherever you're listening, so that others like you may find the soul of life. I mean, really, it's not every day you get to share the soul of life with someone. Okay, so you can post a comment or question on souloflifeshow.com. I'd love to hear from you. And please subscribe now to get the next episode. I look forward to sharing more of my soul of life with you.
1: I like it and it's not harsh to my eardrop.
0: Alright, I will go.